the networking aspect of conferences is huge. And I know we have digital means of communication, but it's not quite the same. And the interesting thing that I always find about attending conferences, and GopherCon is a conference that does this for me, but lots of conferences do as well, is like, I always come out super invigorated and just excited about something that I wanna just dive into. This episode is brought to you by Sourcegraph. With the launch of their Code Insights product, teams can now track what really matters in their code base. Code Insights instantly transforms your code base into a queryable database to create visual dashboards in seconds. And I'm here with Joel Kortler, the product manager of Code Insights for Sourcegraph. Joel, the way teams can use Code Insights seems to pretty much be limitless, but a particular problem every engineering team has is tracking versions of languages or packages. How big of a deal is it actually to track versions for teams? Yeah, it's a big deal for a couple of reasons. The first is, of course, just compatibility. You don't want things to break when you're testing locally or to break on your CI systems or test systems. You need to have some sort of level of like version unification and minimum version support, and all of that needs to be you know, compatible forward. But the other thing we learned was that for a lot of customers, especially you know engineer organizations that are pretty established, they have older versions of things or even older versions of like SaaS tools they don't use anymore that they haven't fully removed because they're like not sure if it's still in use or they you know lost focus on that. And they're spinning up old virtual machines that they're still paying for. Or they're using you know old SaaS subscriptions they're afraid to cancel because they're not sure if anyone's actually using it. And so getting off of those versions not just like saves you the headaches and the risks and the vulnerabilities of being on old versions, but also literally the money of you know, older systems running more slowly or the build times or, you know, virtual machines and SaaS tools that you're no longer using. Before you had this ability, we talked to teams, there are basically three ways you could do this. You could slack a million people and ask for just like an update point in time. You could have sort of one human and one spreadsheet where like it's somebody's job every Friday or every two weeks to just like search all the code and find all the versions and write it down in a Google sheet. Or there were a couple of companies that I came across with in-house systems that were sort of complicated. You had to know, you know, maybe Kotlin, but you didn't know Kotlin. But if you wanted to use this system, you had to learn Kotlin and you'd have to sort of build the whole world from scratch and run basically a tool like this with a pretty steep learning curve. And now for all three of those, you could replace it with a single line source graph search, which is basically just the name of the thing you're trying to track and the version string in the right format. And then we have templates that'll help you get started if you're not sure what that format is. And then it'll automatically track all the different versions for you, both historically. So even if you start using it today, you can see your historical patterns. And then of course, going forward. Very cool. Thank you, Joel. So right now there is a treasure trove of insights just waiting for you living inside your code base right now. Teams are tracking migrations, adoption, deprecations. They're detecting and tracking versions of languages and packages. They're removing or ensuring the removal of security vulnerabilities. They understand their code by team. They can track their code smells and health, and they can visualize configurations and services and so much more with Code Insights. A good next step is to go to about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. See how other teams are using this awesome feature. Again, about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. This link is in the show notes. Go time. Welcome to Go Time, your source for diverse discussions from all around the Go community. Check out our back catalog at GoTime.fm. There you'll find the most popular episodes, our favorites, and a request form so you can let us know what you want to hear about on the pod. 
Special thanks to our partners at Fastly for shipping our shows super fast to wherever you listen. Check them out at Fastly.com. And to our friends at Fly.io. Host your app servers close to your users. No ops required. Learn more at Fly.io. Okay, here we go. Hello and welcome to GoTime. Today we are going to be talking about GoForCon. We're going to talk a little bit about kind of where did GoForCon come from? How is it put together every year? We'll be hearing about some of the logistics, the difficulties, the challenges, but also some of the fun stuff about putting a conference of this scale together. We're very, very lucky and excited to have our wonderful guest, Eric St. Martin, who is a GoForCon organizer, as well as being co-author of Go In Action. Welcome, Eric. Lovely to have you. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I'm actually happy to be on. It's uh, I miss hanging out with all of you on air. I'm so excited. This is, I think, the first time I've hung out with you on air. So I'm excited. Oh, and then Johnny, <laughs> Johnny's who like, is my wonderful co-host, is like, oh, fine, I'll leave you two to it. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't want to interrupt this beautiful moment. <laughs> and he's back. Awesome. Great. Welcome back, Johnny. I was a little bit upset. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sharing this beautiful moment with you as well, Johnny. <laughs> Johnny's like, oh, it's Eric. I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome. I'm excited. I haven't co-hosted a show with you in a while. How are you doing? It's been a while. I'm doing great. And I'm actually looking forward to this episode as well because I'm one of the uh, GopherCon OGs, as you say. I was at the very first one, and I think I've been at most of them, maybe for one, but we'll pretend that's not true. <laughs> well, lovely to have you both as a, a co-host on the show, but also as a co-chair of this conference, as well as being on the organizing committee. So we're going to start right at the very basics for all our lovely newbie gophers. What is GopherCon, and how did it first become a thing? Yeah, so it's interesting. Like We've talked about this before on, I think, GoTime and changelog as well. It, it came around as a, a really interesting story. At the time, Brian Kettleson and I worked together at a company. This is 2011 or so. And we were both using Go and we were attending lots of conferences. And so early 2013, we kept talking about the fact that like, I really wish there was a Go conference, like really, really want to go to a conference and meet other people who develop Go. We both live in Tampa really big in the tech industry for healthcare, which is not, you know, a bleeding edge technology adopter. So it was basically just Brian and I covering all of Tampa at that time with Go, right? It was still very, very early. And so mid-2013 rolls around, like April, May or so, and some folks in Denver from the Denver Go Meetup group were talking about, like, I really wish there was a Go conference. And Brian and I are like, I know, this is what we've been saying. And so it was basically like, oh, why don't you guys do it? And we're like, well, how hard could it be? We should. We should totally do it. It turns out after the fact, really hard. <laughs> There's actually a lot that goes into it. That we, we, we knew it would be a ton of work. We totally underestimated just how much work it would take. But yeah, so that's sort of how things came about. It was really interesting because we were hoping to just get you know, 100, 200 people together at the time, we we didn't know how many gophers there were. The language was still super new. And so we planned to hopefully get like two or 300 people together. And then it just sort of exploded from there. We had to keep calling the venue back to get more room. 
And uh, yeah, we maxed out at 750 people the first year. So that was really crazy for us because, I mean, anybody in the conference circuit kind of knows, like, I mean, most conferences take years to even hit those numbers. So we were just really, really in shock. It was really a humbling experience, though, too, like the number of sponsors who came on, like, and same thing. They just wanted a conference for this technology, too. And so many of them weren't even worried about ROI at the time. They're just like, the ROI is a Go conference starting, right? We need to hire people. We need these events to exist. And so that was really awesome. Then, like, all of these people that, like, we really admired in the Go community were there, like, helping us, like, stuff bags and swag bags. <laughs> it turns out stuffing 750 swag bags takes a long time. Who knew? Um, so, yeah, it was just really interesting to have, like, I'm trying to even remember, like, Steve Francia, Bill Kennedy, Damian Grisky, like uh, Dave Cheney, like there were so many. And like, I'm going to leave people out here, which I always hate doing those things, but trying to remember all of the people who were like back there could sit here forever. But it was just kind of crazy. All of these people who were like, no, no, you're, you should be giving talks. Why are you helping us stuff back? <laughs> but yeah, I think everybody was just really excited to just see this thing happen and anything they could do to, to make it an event that would be remembered they were willing to do. And, you know, the same is true about emceeing, right? So at the time, you know, Brian and I are running around just putting out fires because there's so much stuff that happens behind the scenes that people don't even know and like things that you need to manage while you're on site. And so we'd be like putting out a fire and then running up on stage to like introduce the next speaker. And Kelsey Hightower came over and was like, looks like you guys kind of a little busy here, you know, do you want me to take over introducing the speakers for you so that you guys can handle everything? And so, and he did. And that's just like another example of people in the community just trying to pitch in to, to make it something. I think that all of that probably sparked the atmosphere that exists there today, right? Where we care more about the community than anything else. And everybody just sort of contributing to it being a great time. So how has it evolved? Like the image I'm getting in my brain of you kind of scrapping this together, wonderful gophers helping in any way they can to like the very put together huge conference that it is today. Would love to hear like, what are the big evolutions? What are the big changes that you've seen? So Eric, before you answer that, right, as an attendee to the first one, right, like I can tell you what my experience was. So I'm sitting probably like in the first or second row. And basically I was there with my friend, Mark Bates, who's also a, a prominent member of the community. And we basically, we, we're sitting like in the second, you know, first or second row, basically uh, this ballroom filled with pretty much 750 people. This was a single track conference, right? At the time, like a massive number of people. Like, can you imagine as a speaker, right? For a brand, effectively a new technology, right? Go ahead, been around for a while, but it hadn't really hit its stride, right? But you're about to give a talk to a room full of 750 people, right? So I can imagine, right, like what, what the, the first speakers felt, right? But as an audience member, the whole thing was so smooth with Eric running around and, and Brian running around. Like I didn't, I didn't know there was so many fires behind the scenes being put out, right? But it was, for me, it was just basically things, the, the schedule went according to plan. The speakers were all on point. All the talks were great. To me, this was just a well-organized conference. Now, how do you beat that, 
Eric, how do you beat that? Yeah, so it's kind of funny. There's always like the magic that happens behind the scenes, right? And so you're right. Like it was a very, very early technology then, right? So April 2014 is when the very first GopherCon was held. And so like we're talking pre-Docker, pre-Kubernetes, like all of these big technologies. Most of the HashiCorp products like hadn't been released yet, right? Speaking of which, actually, Mitchell Hashimoto bought the first two tickets to <laughs> the very first GopherCon. Nice. And that's kind of a funny story there. But yeah, so like all of these, these big technologies that we look at that are written in Go, most of these hadn't really taken off yet or had even been released. So it was still very, very early early but like as an example of like things that happen behind the scenes that people are unaware of right so we talked about the kelsey thing so i had this idea the first year it was like okay well most people will stay for the second or they'll stay for the talks and many people will leave like the next day and flights all over the world will be taking off at various times let's book the space for the next day too and people can just hang out and hack on stuff, right? Like this is the thing we all know now as Community Day, right? That day it was just called Hack Day. And the whole idea was just just hang out, hack on stuff together before leaving for your flight the next day, right? <laughs> and so we get down there in the morning and the escalator just keeps coming. More people, more people. And there's like one of those like, oh crap moments. <laughs> like <laughs> so many people had chosen to stay for the next day, like just as part of the conference. And you look at each other and you're like, we're going to have to feed these people. <laughs> and so like, we're just running back <laughs> with the catering crew. Like, what do we have that's for like events in the next couple of days that you can like reorder that we can. Yeah. And so like, there's things like that, that, um, that happen. And some of them are amusing after the fact, some of them, you know, are stressful. But yeah, I think that with the first year, there was a lot that wasn't thought about as far as the viability of it as like, for lack of a better term, business, right? Because though, though it's not like a for-profit company or whatever, bills have to be paid, right? And so like, you can't just sort of go in and be like, oh, yeah. And one of the big things we did was we dramatically underestimated just how expensive running events are. And, you know, the best way I can compare this for people is anybody who's ever gotten, like, married and you see how, like, you're like, how much per person for a plate of food? <laughs> it's the same thing for events and sometimes worse, right? Where, you know, Wi-Fi for three days is $40,000 or something, right? Like, it's just the price tags on these things are just astronomical. And so there was a lot of evolution that had to go in there with budgets and how are these things going to be paid and how do we account for the prices of these things going up over time? How do we account for things like attrition? Most people don't realize this, but when you book these hotels to account for everybody staying there, you're committing to a number of hotel rooms being sold. And like, if, if people don't book those hotel rooms, you get hit with a giant bill, right? And so most people don't realize that. And sometimes you're going to be wrong and you will get hit with a bill. And so some, you, you have to kind of account for having budget for these things. There's a lot that goes into just trying to figure out how many rooms are you going to need, which nights of the week. Because if you guess too high, you get hit with an attrition bill. If you guess too low, your attendees don't have a place to stay. And so there's like a lot of this sort of complexities there. 
So there's that side of things, thinking about those. But then the two other ways I'd say that things kind of evolved was one, the vision of like a high production value, right? I always love the idea of people feeling like they've made it, right? Like uh, people who speak to thousands of people, you want them to kind of feel like really excited about stepping up on stage like I, I got here. And so the idea of that was really fascinating for me. Like I, I really wanted to make sure that that happened and just a means of you know, the production quality for videos coming out for people to have have that type of stuff. The other was I took off a month of work before that event for all of the stuff that had to just be done. And there was so much work that was being done like at night after work and things like that. And so realizing that long term, there was no way that we could manage that, not while having day jobs, right? And so this is where, like many of you who have been in the, the GopherCon circle, this is where like Heather Sullivan and Convention Designs comes in. So the first year we had worked with them as a local contact, they were referred to us by the hotel, our planner at the hotel for the ancillary events. So we wanted to do kind of like an offset party and like a dinner for the speakers and things like that. And so that's how we first came in contact with their company. And so going into 2015, that's where things kind of that relationship started to build even more. And they came in and helped with a lot more of the logistics side of things, negotiating hotel contracts and things like that, managing travel and working with the convention center and all of that stuff, figuring out what we needed for insurance and paramedics and all of these things you don't really think about. And so since then, like every year, sort of that relationship has built more and more where they, they've taken on more and more of the some of the back end logistics side of things so that we're able to focus on more of the content and the bigger picture. And there's still a lot that I do behind the scenes too, but like all of that is like going through event banquet orders and hotel contracts with a fine tooth comb. Not exactly exciting for me. So I'm really, really glad to have that relationship where Heather and I are very yin and yang when it comes to a lot of these things like complement each other. So that was probably a big one too. So this really an event, once you get to this big, this size, it's a year round effort. And I have a full-time job. There is no way that I'd be able to work on all of this stuff full-time. I'm really grateful for that relationship. And most of you have, uh, have met her over the years and her amazing team that helps us with so many aspects of the conference. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Square. Develop on the platform that sellers trust. Support Square sellers by building apps for today's business needs. As a Square app partner, you can reach millions of business owners searching for trusted software solutions. As a Square solutions partner, you can get hired by sellers on the Square platform, find new clients, and build apps that meet their needs. 
Square loves developers. They work hard to enable you to launch fast with their developer tools. You get a full sandbox environment, an interactive API explorer, live event monitoring, backend SDKs for PHP, Ruby, Java, .NET, Python, and Node. You get secure payment SDKs for iOS, Android, React Native, and Flutter. You get it all. Learn more and get started at changelog.com slash square. Again, changelog.com slash square. a little bit about kind of the logistics putting together an event but of course GoForCon would be nothing without its participants and its amazing speakers so would love to hear a little bit about like how do we get these amazing wonderful people on stage I know Johnny you have been a speaker you've been part of the kind of talk review committee and now as a chair I'd love to hear a little bit about like what is that process what is that process for the speaker as well as kind of the committee and getting to that final lineup hmm so there's two sides to this, right? And having been a speaker and now being part of basically the people who get to decide what, who the speakers are going to be, these are very different things. So I'll, I'll tell you from a speaker's standpoint, even submitting a talk, right, is a terrifying process. <laughs> like going through, you know, you, despite all the advice that you read as a potential speaker and you watch YouTube videos on how to go about it, even the GopherCon committee puts out, you know, blog posts on this is what we're looking for and things like that. It's still a terrifying process. And this is something that you know, we definitely have to acknowledge. You always have basically this self-doubt that sort of travels with you all the way from the time you hit submit for that proposal all the way to the point where you deliver the talk and you're walking off stage and you're still thinking, did I do a good job, right? So it's a very scary proposition for a lot of people. And basically, this is me giving a shout out to you. If you've ever submitted a proposal to GopherCon, even if you didn't get accepted, kudos to you because we know it can be a very stressful process. And for those who have been accepted and have given talks over the years, big shout out to you as well because we know the preparation process, rehearsing over and over again and making sure, you know, you cross your T's, you dotted your I's, you go in on, on stage, whether you're go, doing a big sort of a um, general audience talk, which is very <laughs> scary, or you're doing a tutorial in a smaller room, we know it, it's a very challenging, right? Unless you do it, even when you've done it in a few times, it's still scary. It's still, you know, sort of inducing of sort of that flight of fright kind of <laughs> um, sort of emotion. And let's be clear here too, like the tutorial sessions and stuff like that are more about being able to go more in depth, right? Having more time, it's much more specific so you can drill in. But like those rooms aren't small either. Like right. pre-pandemic, you're talking 450, 500 people. Mm -hmm. That's not a small talk. <laughs> That's the size of another conference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, you know, we have the this process So moving on now to the sort of selection process. It's always a combination of what is something that basically the value threshold, right, is always high for us, basically. It's is somebody going to give do this talk justice? Sometimes, you know, we get proposals for talks that the topic itself is an interesting one, but there might not be enough there, enough meat on the bone, so to speak, right? 
could be based on the proposer's sort of a comfort level with the talk, which sometimes comes through um, in the description and how they propose things. It could be that the material is interesting, but is there's not enough interest for it, where there's a lot of things that goes into sort of uh, the selection of the talks and the topics that we focus on. For example, we've heard so many talks in GRPC that this year in our selection process, we were like, ah. Yeah, we, we, we have a couple more gRPC submissions, but there's nothing in there that's sort of really new. There's not going to be new ground covered, right? So we might sort of basically deprioritize those in order to give other people a chance to introduce something new, right? It's always about what is the value that we want the community to derive out of this conference when they walk away from it, right? And we want that to be as high as possible, right? To put it all, all the machinations that goes on behind the scenes, right? Between the coordination, just getting all of us in the same room at the same time like scheduling wise, just to get the chairs together to pick the darn talks is challenging, right? So, oh yeah, <laughs> I, there was five, six meetings. This was after the shortlist was created, right? Just after the shortlist, yeah. To Johnny's point too, like to everybody who's ever submitted a talk, like we know emotionally, like there's a hit there, right? Like when your talk doesn't get accepted, but in a normal year, we're going to talk pre-pandemic because. Everything's after word is, is a mess. But pre-pandemic, we would get 300 plus submissions, right? For 25 slots. Those are hard numbers. A lot of great talks aren't going to be accepted. And additionally, the process is intentionally set up so that none of us can favor certain talk types and stuff like that. So there's a whole committee of people who review these things blindly. So we don't know who you are or your expertise and things like that when they're reviewed. And so two things come of that, right? Like, so we rotate out the committee. And so that fresh perspectives where it's not like a bunch of us who have been here 10 years being like, ah, do we really want an intro to go talk, right? Like that wouldn't be fair, right? Mm -hmm. And so as we're swapping that out, that means the perspectives kind of change and we get a consensus across the group what topics are interesting and not. But I think the key thing here that Johnny pointed out is that because of the way this blind process works, we don't know anything about you. And so if you're super vague about the talk that you're giving, why are you the person to give that perspective, right? And so if we can't look at your outline and abstract and kind of be like, oh, this person really knows what they're talking about. They know what the takeaway should be. We don't know if you're a good public speaker. We don't know how well you know the topic. If you're like, I'm going to talk about the compiler. What specifically about the compiler? Like, that's complex. How are you going to fit that into a 25-minute talk, right? And so you have to give enough detail that somebody who doesn't know who you are is able to look at that proposal and be like, this person's clearly thought about how long it's going to take to deliver this information, that there's a clear path to delivering it. They know what their takeaways are going to be, things like that. And topics that have been covered in the past aren't necessarily bad if you also are talking about like how you're building off of the talks that have been given in the past or how your perspectives on that technology have changed over time and things like that, where there's some new information and it's not the effectively the same talk being given by a new person every year. And sometimes there is room for some of those topics that are just going to be regular topics that every new generation of Gopher coming to the conference is going to need to see or hear, right? Then there's some of the technologies that are, I don't want to call them fads. There's just, they're trends, right? Like where this year 
WebAssembly is just really hot and there's lots of proposals about WebAssembly or, or something, right? I don't want to call it a fad because a fad makes it sound like it dies off. But <laughs> people get really excited about one technology in this like one or two year period. And so there's usually like an influx of talks about that topic. This year's GopherCon is all blockchain talks, folks. I'm kidding. I am so kidding. <laughs> it's Web3. It's Web3. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we won't do that to you. <laughs> so just so there's absolute clarity... The process is that we have this group of enthusiastic gophers, ideally at different levels, different experiences that come together to form a kind of paper review committee. Is it that the chairs reach out to these people? If there are wonderful kind of go time listeners who are like, oh, like I'd love to volunteer, I'd love to be part of this process, how would they go about doing that? Yes, there's obviously the GopherCon channel that's inside Slack, like myself, Heather, we all hang out there. So uh, I don't always get to read all of the scroll back, but if you ping myself or Heather Sullivan, who's in there, or Johnny or Angelica or anybody else who works with us in the CFP committee and things like that, we we can definitely do that. Obviously, there's a, a limited number of slots there. Often we'll reach out to people, especially like newer speakers and things like that. We'll do that. Because ideally, you want people who kind of, there's two needs there, right? So one is fresh perspectives on like what topics are important and exciting to the community. And you want to make sure you kind of have your finger on the overall pulse of that. It's easy for us to kind of get in our own little world and be excited about things like Web3, you know, <laughs> and NFTs. <laughs> but the other is that you also want people who understand what is a good talk, right? Sometimes with these, if there's enough information there, we will reach back out to people who have submitted talks too, right? We're like, okay, I think I have the gist of what they mean. And this could be a really engaging talk. Let's follow up with them and get them to give us a, just a little more detail or to clarify some things. You know, it's really hard to do at scale, right? Like giving everybody feedback. But if you're like, on the 10 yard line and we're like, I think this is a talk that could be super, especially if you've got a topic that's not done very often, that's really needed. I'll pick on a topic area that I'm super passionate about, which is like security, right? There's not a lot of talks about security, but definitely needed. So like if you submitted a talk in that category that was like so close, you know, we might actually reach out and be like, yeah, could you clarify a couple of these things and stuff like that? I mean, I think I kind of went off the beaten path here from the original topic we were talking about. <laughs> the beauty of go time. Well, I can add a, a, some favor to that too. So one, reaching out to us, if you're interested in sort of helping out at any level here, so you don't have to be a speaker at the conference to actually help out, right, the conference, right? So you can be a, a part of the review committee. And again, we're always looking for fresh perspective to help us sort of uh, um, get our short list, get the talks that we should be paying close attention to. So you can always reach out to us and say, hey, I want to take part in the next time you do this and we'll definitely reach out. And sometimes we reach out to people because we notice you, right? So one of the things that people out there may not realize is that as active members of the community, we ourselves are always keeping an eye out for new blood, for fresh blood, right? So at some point, 
Eric's going to retire from this. At some point, I will retire from this, right? And so will Brian. So will all the people that you're familiar with or you might have heard, you know, you, you see names popping up over and over again. These people will go away at some point and we need to sort of be grooming, so to speak, the next generation, right? Who's going to take over GopherCon after Eric is done? Who's going to be passionate enough, right, to be able to step in his shoes and carry this forward, right? Because I'd hate to see GopherCon go away just because Eric decides to take a break, right? What are you trying to say here, John? Are you kicking me out? <laughs> And, you know, these are the five reasons that I feel that I'm qualified. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's a mutiny. <laughs> I knew this was a setup. Oh, man, you walk right into it. This is your exit interview. This is your exit interview. <laughs> We keep an eye out for people that are active members of the community, right? And we notice when somebody is, for lack of a better term, a nice member, a nice person to interact with and sort of, uh, you know, talk to, right? I think that Johnny cut out. Yeah. I think the moral of the story was that we've got our eyes out. If you're doing good work, if you're interested, if you're active, that doesn't go unnoticed. A big part of the work of the chairs and the work of those who are organizing GopherCon is to be in the Slack channels, to be going to the smaller meetups, to be keeping an eye out for interesting topics, people, and then engaging them. And I'll take advantage of the fact that Johnny is frozen and therefore can't hear this. Also, these are people who you can reach out to if you're even dabbling at the idea of submitting to GopherCon. So kind of personal story, when I was going into the Go community and I was like, oh my gosh, GopherCon, this is so big, this is so cool. I like aspire one day to speak at this amazing conference and was talking to Johnny and he was like, Angelica, just do it. Just like put a proposal together and submit. If you don't get accepted, try again. And these people are so giving with their time, are so willing to help. There is also a more formalized program around mentorship and helping coach the speakers to be ready for stage. So even if you may have apprehension around like, am I going to be okay at speaking? Am I going to be all right? There are programs around helping you get on stage and be set up to succeed. Johnny was the reason why I <laughs> ended up speaking at GopherCon and is a huge part of that kind of mentorship programming and serendipitously Johnny seems to now be back so I'm going to pick on you Johnny to talk a little bit about you missed my whole spiel about how you were just a really bad mentor to me and you, oh, just, wow. you never encouraged me to do anything <laughs> so this is your chance to defend your your reputation redeem myself yeah <laughs> the beatings will commence until more <laughs> but I think also like we talked about like how we got here and it's interesting when this conference was started, we always believed that people who knew how to run tech events would come build like the big go conference. But I think that whole caring about people in the community first is the huge thing that probably made GopherCon what it is because from conference one, there were many of us from organizing crew to other speakers and stuff like that, that were in one of the hotel suites until all hours of the night. Well, some of the speakers did dry runs of their talks and things like that. And over the years, it's become a much more formal thing, but like that's always been prevalent. And I know we're talking a lot about like, how do I get involved on the content side of things? So volunteering, if you've got a lot of public speaking 
experienced and you want to mentor other people who are new to public speaking, like that's a great way. But also like you can carve your own path. There's so much at the conference that have come from other people coming to us, right? Like Andy Walker came to us one year with the idea of like, how do we teach people how to have a good experience here, how to make the best out of a conference and things like that. And so that's when the whole Gopher Guides program was started. And he's ran with that. And it's been amazing, especially considering so many attendees are first time attendees. Some of them have never been to another conference before. And so all it really takes is just being passionate about the community and bettering the experience for other people. And if you've got ideas, please come to us because that's what matters more than anything to us. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Retool. Retool helps teams focus on product development and customer value, not building and maintaining internal tools. It's a low-code platform built specifically for developers. No more UI libraries, no more hacking together data sources, and no more worrying about access controls. Start shipping internal apps that move your business forward in minutes with basically zero uptime, reliability, or maintenance burden on your team. Some of the best teams out there trust Retool, Brex, Coinbase, Plaid, DoorDash, Legal Genius, Amazon, Allbirds, Peloton, and so many more. The developers at these teams trust Retool as their platform to build their internal tools, and that means you can too. It's free to try, so head to retool.com slash changelog. Again, retool.com slash changelog. And by our friends at Chronosphere. Scaling cloud native is complicated, and Chronosphere helps teams take back control of observability, tame rapid data growth, reduce cloud native complexity, and increase confidence of the business. And I'm here with Martin Mal, co-founder and CEO of Chronosphere. Martin, when it comes to cloud native observability, what are the pain points of Kubernetes and making sure it's reliable? You know, I think the shift to Kubernetes has really changed the way we design applications. It's changed the way we, it's changed our infrastructure as well. So it's introduced a lot of change, I would say, and that's probably why it's causing a lot of issues in the observability space. I think one thing we're finding is that a lot of companies out there are focused on producing a lot more data and there's a lot of focus on more metrics, more traces, more logs, because these environments we're trying to monitor are far more complex these days. I think that's maybe one of the mistakes the industry is running into. And it's interesting because obviously for all the solutions out there, the vendors out there, the more data that gets produced, the better it is for all of the vendors out there. Um, but what, what's interesting is that along with that increased volume of data, people aren't actually getting better outcomes out of it. People's number of incidents that people are running to is still rising. Uh, people's MTTRs, MTTDs, mean time to detection and resolution is actually getting higher as opposed to lower. So I think this is the common state that a lot of companies find themselves in. And of course, with the increased volume of data, folks' bills increase and, and the problem actually gets harder. So I think that's a common state we find a lot of companies into and this is probably why it's top of mind for a lot of companies out there very cool thank you martin all right the next step is to head to chronosphere.io to explore the platform and get a demo again chronosphere.io
talked a little bit about kind of how to get involved, the speakers, moral of the story being, if you have even an inkling of a thought of a dream that you would like to be involved in or talk at GopherCon, just do it. But I wanna hear a little bit about this year because obviously we're coming off the back of the pandemic, a period of virtual hybrid conferences. This is gonna be kind of the first in-person GopherCon in a hot second. I myself am extremely, extremely excited given that I did my like virtual keynote, did the like next year was like reviewing papers. Now I'm like co-chairing and this is going to be my first in-person GopherCon ever. Wow. So I am extremely excited and I will be a first time in-person GopherCon attendee. That is amazing. I hadn't realized that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me either. Get ready. I'm going to whip out the gopher onesie if I can find one on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. Nice. <laughs> but tell us. Tell us a little bit about uh, GopherCon. I know we had a bit of change. I want to hear about, like, Chicago. I'm certainly very excited about Chicago. Never been. The only thing I've been told is try the deep dish pizza. But Eric, can you... Uh... That's a lot of bread, though. Like I love bread. <laughs> this isn't my unpopular opinion, but really, why do we need that much yeah. bread? That's a lot of carbs. <laughs> They're going to like put me back on the plane when I hit Chicago. What did you say about our pizza? <laughs> <laughs> but tell us, this year, what are you excited about? What should we be looking forward to? I'm just excited to get people back together. And I know there's a lot to kind of work around and navigate right now, right? Because the pandemic is far from from over. So I know there's a lot to navigate there, but two years of sort of not being connected, it, it almost feels the way it did back in 2013 when this started, right? Where it's just so desperately want to get together in the same room with some other gophers, right? And so, yeah, that's what I'm most excited about is just to have people there, even though it's not going to be the same scale as it was pre-pandemic. But there's also some opportunity to reminisce a little bit too, right? Like that tight-knit group that came out of the first year and everything forging new relationships. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited. I'm, I'm excited about some of the topics for talks and things like that too. I probably hit on a few of those, but... Then I'm like playing favorites here, which is like, how much should I do that? You know, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing people again face to face. Honestly, I mean, for me, going to a conference and perhaps I have other people out there who who share the sentiment. But going to the conference, I, I go honestly go less for the talks and more for the interaction with people. Right, I get to see people face to face that perhaps I only know an avatar for them on Twitter or something like that. Right. I get to actually have conversations with people, go out with people, like, you know, knock a few beers back with the people and, and just really get to know the people that I interact with that are part of this community. Right. That um, I enjoy being a part of so much. Right. And one of the things that I think really, I don't want us to take for granted is that basically when I, when, once I started sort of getting more involved in the community. And this basically started taking hold after the first one for me. Because the community was so small at the time, 
I immediately saw the opportunity, right? Based on the people that I had interacting, act, interacted with at the conference and beyond, uh, I immediately saw an opportunity in the form of basically having been part of other communities before Go. I saw some ways that some things kind of got derailed, and, and I saw some ways on the interaction interactions would be sort of sour for, especially for beginners. There's the, that elite mentality that oh. RTFM or don't ask, you know, quote unquote, stupid questions like that whole sort of really something I'm hoping technologists as a whole, we've sort of we're getting out of, although there's still quite a bit of that out there. But that whole sort of sort of commonality, right, between between other communities that I saw, I, I didn't see or sense any of that, even, even though I was new to the community and new to the language, I didn't see or sense any of that, right, a uh, negativity when I early on. So I'm like, okay, maybe this is an opportunity, right, to keep it that way, right, or to make it better and kind of keep it moving in that direction, right? And I think the people that are really involved, the people you know now, right, that has been longtime gophers, I think there was this implicit sort of a um, decision on the part of all of us that says, hey, you know what, let us all collectively, right, make this community what we'd like it to actually be in the future. How would actually, let's try to keep it a community that is welcoming and nice to beginners, friendly to beginners, people that are still learning. Because whether we like it or not, there are more new Go developers, right, currently than there are old hats like myself or Eric or, or folks on, uh, on the committee. There's a way more new people, right? That has been the case for the last, I'd say, five plus years, right? Every year, more and more new people come into the community. And we want that first interaction, right, to be a positive one. We want you to come for the technology, but stay for the people, right? Because the people are really what's going to make the whole experience much better for you, whether it be a colleague or a coworker or open source contributor that you happen to be working on something, you know, on something with whatever that interaction is, we want it to be positive. And the, the code of conduct stuff that we have for the conference itself, the goal community code of conduct stuff in, in general, you know, the interaction, the rules that sometimes not everybody likes, you know, for, you know, the Slack channel, go for Slack, right? We know that these things can sometimes, right, be annoying in certain contexts, right? But overall, they are positive instruments, right, for making sure that both, you know, the conference spaces that we're in, whether it be GopherCon in the US or GopherCon Brazil or GopherCon UK or any other Go conference that basically, you know, GopherCon has, itself has inspired, we want all those spaces to be, you know, safe spaces for everybody, welcoming spaces for everybody, you know, great learning environments for those who are brand new to the language and brand new to the community and all hats as well right so the whole i think this is something that's very important to to us as community leaders right and i think that's something that you know whether eric wanted it to be or not that that is what we've become and i hope you do you do like where we're going eric as far as conferences go yeah i mean i like the community aspect prior to the pandemic i had dreams about another conference I wanted to start too for similar reasons, right? Like conferences, you know, that are very community focused versus ones that very much are <laughs> sales machines, right? And they are what they are. And that, that's not like a hit on them. I just, I'm passionate about being in the communities where it's just that a bunch of people that are just trying to support each other and help lift each other up. And so I like where we're going, but it's interesting, like you said about like the number of new people. I mean, all of the OG gophers, so to speak, if most of them walked into a, a 
new Go conference, the only people who are probably going to recognize them are other OG Gophers, right? Like, <laughs> right, exactly. We've hit that point of sort of like critical mass. We all looked up to and admired and have since gone on to do other things. People wouldn't even recognize their name, right? It's not good or bad. It's just the evolution of a technology once you hit a point of like critical mass where it just, it explodes. Most people don't care about those details anymore, right? Like the number of people, as sad as it sounds, who cares about who the original people who wrote the Go programming language is, it's mostly OG people. Like most of the people don't care because they don't need to know that to get stuff done. They just want a language that works and does what they need it to do. And it does that right in spades. So, yeah. So I want to kind of press on the community aspect a little bit harder, not to be a skeptic, but there are many communities that say they're very inclusive. They say they're very diverse. They say they're very welcome to all, but in practice, they turn out not to be. So I'd love a little bit to hear about the actual in practice. How do you do that? How do you foster an inclusive, welcoming community? What are almost some like tips, some things that you can do, some things that you are cognizant about. I would also like to press that like one step further and directly ask you, Eric, I know that the move to Chicago was rooted in serving our community, the Go community. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that because I think that is a example of where these concepts of like, we care about our community actually go into practice. Yeah. Uh, so that's a hard one, right? Like, cause <laughs> I don't claim to be an expert here. Right. And we're all doing, I can't say all, but like most of us are, are doing our best to do what's right for other people and to advocate for them and things like that. And we're going to screw up, right? Like it happens. We're human and we're going to make mistakes. I think the big thing there is to, to be accountable and be able to admit fault and figure out those things. So I think, you know, a lot of it comes through example, right? Like if your people, other people look up to and they, they want to mimic your behavior. And if you're a jerk, then they're a jerk too. And if these things are important, I think the other part is about, we like to talk about being an ally, but I think for most people, it's very fair weather, right? Like it's easy to be an ally when it requires words, right? Like it's much harder to do those things when there's real sacrifice needed or you're exposing yourself to a ton of risk, right? And so the move to Chicago, that's one of those scenarios, right? Like, I, I don't know what will come of that, right? Like, there's a lot of complexities in all of that, a lot of which I can't get into <laughs> currently, but those things come secondary to doing what's right. I think that when we look at the tech community and things like that, and even just people who mean a lot to me, right? Like that are very close to me, like that are impacted by all of these changes. Looking at Florida, it just doesn't align with our values, right? Like we put up a code of conduct and we talk about how we all need to be welcoming and accepting and all of these things. And then it's like, well, let's hold our event in this state that just keeps passing. And I should clarify the state I live in, right? <laughs> like I have to live here, moving out of state. <laughs> Speaking of like hard things to do, right? A lot of complexities there. But yeah, I mean, passing these laws that are very, very harmful to people in our community. And so 
some people may argue that what does that really do, right? Ron DeSantis isn't going to be like, oh, GopherCon's leaving. We should reevaluate <laughs> these laws. <laughs> but it may not matter to them, but it matters to us, all of us who are part of the community. And it's slightly different use of the the phrase, but, you know, the law of two feet, right? Like we're speaking with our, with our feet. Like it's, we remove ourselves from the situations that we don't want to be in and move towards places. And so I think Chicago aligns a lot more with our values. Do you think we'll uh, swing back over to San Diego at some point? That was my favorite spot, by the way, <laughs> when we headed there. Yeah. So one of the things like when we talk about the complexities and logistics and stuff, what a lot of people don't realize is like the number of years in advance. Like I think we were contracted up to like 2025, like going into the pandemic. And so like there's a lot of complications in all of that. So yeah, San Diego is definitely on the list. We love San Diego too. And I should also clarify too, when we talk about sort of like acceptance and things like that too, is in people doing their best is there's a lot and we don't have a lot of time here, but to go into like the, the risks associated with running conferences and things like that, it's important to remember that while we made this decision, people's situations are completely different and we have to understand there's a lot that goes into these things and the contracts and how long people are contracted out and things like that, that it's not an easy decision to make. And with any regard to conferences and these types of things. So we have to have a critical eye on speaking with our feet and not attending conferences that are just putting people with sexual harassment issues and things like that on stage and stuff like that. Like we have to be very careful about, we don't want to support conferences like that. But on the flip side, we have to understand that some of these things come with real, real consequences. You're signed out several years later, you've got minimum commitments and things like that. And great, you decide to go somewhere else and then you get sued for everything. Right. And so like, we have to kind of give people a little space and support too when they don't do these things and try to understand that are these the type of people who would do something like, I don't know. Like I said, these things are complicated and I don't claim to be an expert. And we made the decision because like this conference was founded on the idea of the community being the most important thing. And so whatever comes from all of this, it's worth it to me to do the right thing. But also, like I recognize that that's very, very hard. And these things take a long time, right? So even if somebody wants to do something, you don't just like make this decision on a whim, right? Like you have people reviewing contracts and lawyers and all of this stuff. They're not quick decisions. Even if you were already doing it, you can't make an announcement until you've like found a new home, right? And so there's a lot of these things where sometimes giving people the the time to sort the stuff out. Don't get me wrong, like publicly asking people like, hey, like, what are you going to do about this? Like, we don't agree with this scenario. Like, absolutely. Call people on that stuff. Let them know that that stuff's important to you. But also you got to understand that like these things, if we have to sign a contract five years out, how long do you think it takes us to actually changing the wheels on a moving bus is, you know, is a difficult thing. Well, regrettably, we are coming to near the end of our time. I feel like there are so many more questions I want answers, but I have one more uh, question to ask, which is, 
for anyone who's thinking about like, should I, shouldn't I go to GoForCon this year? Why should they go? Because it's awesome. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. What? Duh. I think, you know, to Johnny's point, like the networking aspect of conferences is huge, right? And I know we have like digital means of communication, but it's not quite the same. And the interesting thing that I always find about attending conferences and GopherCon is a conference that does this for me, but lots of conferences do as well as like, always come out super invigorated and just excited about something that I want to just dive into. And so, and having those, those conversations. So I think absolutely, if you can, please attend. If you can't, that's awesome too. We totally understand like we're in the middle of some of the most challenging times for people and everybody's situations are different. We recognize there's still risk in the pandemic and we do our best to mitigate that stuff as best as possible. Also kind of recognize that budgets for companies to attend conferences and stuff like that, either through travel restrictions or just budget slashing and preparation for recessions and things like that aren't there. So like, obviously, like if you're not in a position, we hope to see you in a future year, but we would love to get a bunch of people together this year. And I know I'm super excited about just getting together in person with other gophers. I just can't wait to hang out with my friends again, you know, and, and make new ones. I'm tired of the the endless Zooms and the Hangouts and the virtual thing. And I will acknowledge that for some, the virtual aspects of a conference is actually a good thing. It's allowed people to basically virtually attend these events who normally wouldn't be able to travel because it's not sponsored by their employer or because, you know, it's just a little too much, especially if you're coming from abroad and things like that. So we do see the value of having sort of the virtual aspect of components and for that. And hopefully we can keep doing sort of the hybrid thing where, you know, stream the talks as they happen and have obviously the recordings are always available, usually, you know, within a matter of two, three, four weeks after the conference itself. Ideally, we want to be able to support kind of both things for those who are able to make it on site and sort of a get that full immersive experience of actually physically hanging out with people. Hopefully we can support both, right? And I think that's sort of the best of both worlds kind of thing. But for me, really, it's the getting to hang out with people again. And I don't know, like I I enjoy the physical human contact. That's huge for me. And it's definitely what I'm looking forward to the most. Awesome. Well, I'm very excited. uh, I would very much encourage anyone, I would mimic what you, you both said, if you can't go this year, please look to go for con in the future as a conference that would welcome you, that is wonderful to attend. As I said, I'm very excited to see where my involvement in GopherCon goes because I feel like my first keynote was like, anyone can be a gopher. My next one will be go how GopherCon changed my life and taught me I was secretly technical. So <laughs> nice. I would say it can truly change your life. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart from anyone who remotely knows me. Awesome. So now we are on to the, not the best part of this discussion, because (laughs) I think the whole chat was great, but the part that I'm intrigued to hear, which is unpopular opinions. I actually think you should probably leave. Eric, what is your unpopular opinion? 
is it the Brooklyn style pizza is way better than Chicago uh, style? And also pineapple on pizza is good. Fight me. <laughs> Catch me outside. <laughs> so let's use one for the industry. I actually, you know, as a manager and things like that and doing interviews, and I've had discussions about people who have been interviewing for new jobs and always that, that fun one, like, why should we hire you sort of ordeal? Like, or why do you want to work here? So I'm going to go with my unpopular opinion is like, I dislike those types of questions. It's kind of narcissistic in a manner, like to be succinct in it, like to make good money or to get a paycheck is a perfectly acceptable answer to why, <laughs> why do you want to work here? Right. But you don't need to have passion and all of it. So, and those things are great, right? Like for some of us who are invigorated by tech and we want most of our life to be that, that's awesome. But like, it's perfectly okay if you're just somebody who just wants a good paying job so that you can enjoy the rest of your life outside of work. And I think we need to do away with all of the, the crazy, like, you need to write an essay about why our company is the only company you've ever wanted to work for in your entire life and stroke our ego more. Like, it's just, yeah, it's gross. Do you have a response to that, Johnny? I see you nodding your head. I understand the spirit in which the question is asked, but uh, like Eric says, I don't think I like the sort of connotation of it. Like if somebody's asking that, they're really, why don't they just ask sort of the underlying thing, right? Which is, why do you want to work here? What value, right, is there going to be basically for us mutually to benefit from, you know, what can we do for you? What can you do for us kind of thing? Because this is all it is at the end of the day, right? Is it an exchange of my time for your dollars, right? Let's not pretend it's more than what it actually is. If I work somewhere and I happen to like the company, great, that's even better, right? But honestly, to tell the truth, maybe and perhaps that is my unpopular opinion. I don't have a problem working for a company that is disliked. If the money is that good, right? I don't know. Like, because at the end of the day, you may have a social justice agenda, right? Or you may have some sort of agenda, and that's fine. You know, it's good to have beliefs and have values and believe in, in things. But I have one too, which trumps yours. In my case, is feeding my family trumps all of your values. I don't care what they are, right? Like for me, that is number one, right? And if that means you know working for a company that perhaps you happen to dislike, I don't have a problem with that. Like you do, but I don't have a problem with that, right? And again. I know that's going to be unpopular with some folks, but you kind of have to give people space to make the decisions that are right for them and their family. Not everything I do or say you'll agree with, not every decision I make you'll agree with, and that's okay too. Give each other some space and some grace. The ability to walk away from your job because you disagree with something the company does is a position of extreme privilege mm -hmm. that not everybody has. Right. Mm -hmm. And more power to the people who are in a position to do so and are willing to take that risk. Right. And it's the same thing with like the moving of a conference. Right. Like awesome for people who can do that, but it doesn't necessarily make somebody evil because they're not in a position to do so or are uncomfortable with the risks. Right. Like some of us are much more risk averse than others and stuff like that. And there's nothing inherently wrong with making decisions that are good for your family, right? It's the same thing when people quit a job, right? And they feel really terrible, like they owe the business their <laughs> life. And it's like, you should never feel guilty for doing what's best for you and your family. 
you know, especially if it doesn't harm other people. Like, why even judge somebody for that? If it harms nobody <laughs> and it enriches that person's life, then it was a good choice, right? Moral of the story, your choices are yours. Other people's choices are their own. Yes. Let us all be accountable to our own choices because we don't know what's going on with other people. And I would hope just listening to this conversation gives you an insight into the wonderful human beings that are behind GopherCon and how considerate and thoughtful they are about the world. <laughs> it has been an absolute joy to talk to you both. I'm hoping that I can get you both on with me very, very soon again. And thank you for jumping on on a Friday. I'm always happy to come back. I will hold you accountable to that, Eric. I know you're very, very, very busy, but now you've said it, you're coming back and going <laughs> very soon. <laughs> as long as everybody's like, nobody's like, keep that man off the air. I'm happy to come back and discuss other things, <laughs> even if it's not GoForCon related. Well, as long as GoTime lets me come, <laughs> then I'll get you on too. <laughs> and if not, we can just start another podcast. Don't tell Derek. I heard that. <laughs> 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 Thank you both. I could babble to you all day and it gives me such happiness just to see your faces and I cannot wait to see them at GriffCon in real life. Me too. Yay. Have a great rest of your Fridays and a great weekend. All right. That is our show for this week. Thanks for listening. Now is the time to subscribe if you haven't yet. Head to gotime.fm for all the ways. And good news. We restocked the Changelog merch shop. That means if you've been waiting for a GoTime t-shirt in your size, now is the time to buy. Maybe wear it to GopherCon to show your support. That'd be rad, I think. Buy now at gotime.fm slash merch. Thanks again to our partners at Fastly for CDNing for us, to Fly.io for hosting our app servers and database, to the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder for the dope beats, and to you for being part of the GoTime community. We appreciate you. Next time on GoTime, Matt is joined by Roger Pepe and Egon Elbra to discuss avoiding bloat in your Go code. Stay tuned for that. It'll drop into your podcast feed next week. Hmm.